What's good, family? Today, let's talk about wrestling with scripture. Now, this is definitely one of those touchy topics where if you're not careful, people could feel like, wow, she's really gone off the deep end. Or, whoa, are you still saved? How dare you even question that? How dare you? Well, I'm here today to tell you that real deep faith begins with doubt. Now, if you've been following along with us here at 99, you know that we're currently in our Essentials Collection, where we're discussing the essential spiritual rhythms of our faith. The first rhythm that we covered was prayer, and now we're talking about the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me, and I am just so honored and excited to talk to you today about the importance of wrestling with the Bible. Now, before we get into that, I wanted to do a little bit of a check-in. How are you doing Did you know that it's already been over 160 days since we started sheltering in place? Why don't you go ahead and drop an emoji in the chat to let us know how you're feeling today. Here's mine. You know, we've all had to get real creative and finding some sense of normalcy during these strange times. And there's this one church that just went above and beyond when they created, uh, hosted a drive-in worship service and created this worship guide. Why don't we take a look at it? So when you have your parking lights on, you're saying, I'm ready to worship. And then headlights on means I'm singing along. Right turn signal means I'm raising one hand in worship. But if you have your wipers on, that means I'm lifting both hands in worship. Honking means preach it, pastor. Amen. Right on. Left turn signal means I want to ask forgiveness of my sins. And hazard lights means I am in need of prayer. And last but not least, spraying washer fluid on your windows means I would like to be baptized. Wow. West Liberty Church of God in Ohio, you passed the vibe check. This is not a joke, folks. This was on the news. You should check it out online. But all I know is if you're attending that worship service and your car doesn't look like it's about to blow up, then you ain't caught the Holy Ghost. And so I was just so inspired by this church's worship guide that I created a little emoji worship guide for our service here today. And so here it is. Feel free to use it generously throughout the service. We love to see your participation. All right, before we get into the word, can I open us up in a word of prayer? Let's pray. God, we welcome you here in this place. We just thank you so much, Lord, for the Bible, for Scripture, God, where we can learn to know more about you, learn to know more about ourselves and who you've called us to be in this world. We thank you, God, that your Scripture is living and breathing, that it is active, and Lord, that your word, it transforms our lives, God, and it brings us closer to you. And so today, we pray, Father, that you would just open our hearts, our minds, our souls, so that we can understand deeper what it means to wrestle with scripture and to go deeper in faith, God, with you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the Bible to you? Mickey, a couple weeks ago, shared this great definition with us that the Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human together that tell a unified story which leads us to Jesus. It's a window into the ancient world and also into the spiritual world. Now, that is truly an awesome perspective. But what I want to know is how have you interacted with the Bible? 
Do you view it as an answer book? Do you go to it when you have questions like, do I take this job? Do I date that girl? Do I move to another city? Do I change careers? Should I become vegan? Should I adopt a puppy? Or do you refer to the Bible to support your arguments? Do you view it as a reference tool to back up your position or your political leanings? Is it like, this is what the Bible says about gender roles, or this is what the Bible says about the economy. This is what the Bible says about the upcoming election. Man, the older I get, the more complex the Bible becomes. I remember as a child thinking that it was this wonderful book of stories about beautiful gardens, talking animals, kings, and royalty, and being brave, and about Jesus performing miracles and showing us how to love our neighbors. But the older I get, the more I realize that Sunday school left out some things. I mean, the late Rachel Held Evans once said, if the Bible were to be a lift the flap book, it'd be like, oh, the story of Esther, this queen. She is so beautiful and brave. She spoke up and fought on behalf of her people and she saved them. And then you lift up this flap and you see, oh, it's a story about a harem full of concubines. Or take the story of Joshua, for example, and the Battle of Jericho. That's a good one, isn't it? They were marching and marching and marching, and then the walls came tumbling down. And then you open up the wall a little bit, and then you read, oh, it's a story about genocide. And now, I'm not trying to crap on your favorite stories, but just want to bring to light that there are different dimensions, and there are more things to these stories than we make them out to be. And man, You know, Christians, we just love a good slogan or a good verse just to slap onto any bumper sticker or buy or T-shirt or billboard or whatever you name it. It's always verses like she is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future or be still and know that I am God. But it's never verses like, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock, Psalm 137.9. Or, behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offsprings, and you shall be taken away with it, Malachi 2.3. What do we do about the parts that Sunday school left out? Do we just ignore it and pretend like it's not there? Or even worse, do we say that it's okay because it's in the Bible? Do we, we have to ask ourselves, I mean, is there a wrong way to read scripture? Do we just give up on maturing past a Sesame Street surface level understanding of it? Some of us here grew up in places where asking hard questions about the Bible or even showing a smidge of doubt look like a spiral straight to hell. There's no room for gray. There's no room for questioning. But let's be real. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we hear this part of us that says, yeah, that story has always kind of bothered me. Or, yeah, I've always kind of noticed that contradiction. And even though the greatest commandment, according to Jesus, is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, we somehow choose to obey only part of that commandment and shut off our minds and silence those thoughts rather than inviting God into these uncomfortable spaces. 
I believe that there's primarily two fears that keep us from going off the deep end and allowing our questions to become fertile soil where God can grow deep, rich, and meaningful faith. The first reason we fear is because we are afraid to lose security. Now, in a world where certainty is increasingly rare, we cling on to whatever sense of security we have. For many of us, our faith is the foundation, the bedrock of our lives. And through all the highs and lows, we know and we cling on to this truth that God's got us. Our faith gives us immovable certainty in this life. And, I mean, think about it. We believe in a love that is stronger than death, that has conquered death. What else can do that? And if 2020 has truly shown us anything, it's that nothing is guaranteed or secure in this life. I mean, the economy, job security, our health, even just the ability to step outside our door and to freely breathe fresh air has all been rocked this year. But what that one thing that we've been able to cling on to this whole time. It's Emmanuel. God is with us. And how do we predominantly learn about this Emmanuel? Through the Bible. And so because of this, in the face of immense loss, not everyone is going to feel comfortable setting foot on this journey of wrestling with scripture. We're afraid of what we might find. It's more comfortable to not examine deeper or even just to turn a blind eye to stories that make us uncomfortable, stories that feel a little bit dark or confusing because we're so immune to them and it provides for us a sense of security for today. And the second reason we might hesitate to wrestle with scripture is because we fear being canceled. Now, I don't know about y'all, but as an Enneagram type 2 slash recovering chronic people pleaser, this is something that I never, ever, 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 ever want to experience in my life. And the sad reality is that the fear that we feel isn't so much about being alienated by God, but we fear being alienated by our own community. What do I mean by this? You know, Mike McCarg, also popularly known as Science Mike, puts it this way. There are a lot of Christians, millions in the U.S., who are deeply fearful and traumatized by their own curiosity because of the structure in their community and theology. The more rigid your faith structure, the more drastic the leap of faith required to start asking questions about it. And if we've learned anything from watching the fight against racial injustice unfold in our nation, it's that systems don't take kindly to disruptions. Unfortunately, this is also true in the church. Uh, You could lose your credibility. You could lose relationships. You could lose a place at the table in your own community. And for pastors, it could mean losing your job. And if you can't be curious about your faith because you're afraid that you'll lose all of your friends and your relationships, that you'll lose uh, the ability to pay rent or to even put food on the table, then something's wrong. But man, don't we long to connect our faith in the Bible to what's going on in the world today? What if it's true that the Bible isn't just this outdated text that has lost its relevance and um, to this moment we're in today? What if the scripture, as 2 Timothy 3.16 puts it, is God-breathed? 
What if it is a living creative force, a story about humanity waking up to a more expansive understanding of who God is and who we are in light of him? Man, if we could recognize that, then maybe we could sense that same force, that same presence at work within us and around us today. What would it be like to confidently say, I believe in the Bible, not because I'm scared or because it's what I've known all my life, but because I've read it and I've wrestled with it and I've seen the way that it's transformed my community and my life. And because of that, I know that it's true. How powerful is that? Richard Rohr puts it this way. You don't move to the next level of faith without going through a necessary period of darkness. When you've never had that in your background, and it's all about building this coherent, consistent system where you actually love your understanding of faith, this is not the love of God anymore. This is an idol called certitude. And certitude is a hard thing to leave behind. So now when bits of darkness or an actual faith journey are asked of people, they think they're losing their faith. When in fact, the great ones would say, you're finally finding it. And Rob Bell defines wrestling with scripture in this way. The ultimate display of our respect for the sacred words of God is that we are willing to wade in and struggle with the text, the good parts, the hard-to-understand parts, and the parts that we wish weren't there. The rabbis have a metaphor for this wrestling with the text, the story of Jacob wrestling with the angel in Genesis 32. He struggles, and it is exhausting and tiring, and in the end, his hip is injured. It hurts, and he walks away limping. But when you wrestle with the text, because when you wrestle with the text, you walk away limping. And some people have no limp because they haven't wrestled. But the ones limping have had an experience with the living God. So let's get into it, shall we? Here are three steps to wrestling with scripture in a meaningful, immersive, and dare I even say fun way. Now, this is by no means a comprehensive list, but my goal today is to share a good foundation for beginning what should be a lifelong journey. So step one, fear not, embrace the journey. Accept the fact that you are on this journey of wrestling. I think this sounds easier than it actually is. You could feel really uneasy, scared, or even anxious about it. You might even feel like you're losing your way or that you're entering into a period of darkness. But be encouraged. This doesn't mean that you're losing your faith or that it's being destroyed. Allow this period of wrestling to serve your faith and to deepen it. In Mark 9.24, we read a story about this man who cries out to Jesus and says, I believe, help my unbelief. His honesty before the Lord is met with compassion, and Jesus heals his son. As you embark on this journey, know that you're not alone, that you're in great company. 
Honestly, for every one question you have um, about something in Scripture, I guarantee you there's probably hundreds if not thousands of resources, of dissertations, of commentary, podcasts, videos, and research papers and things like that um, of people who have also explored the same. And also, if you take it back even a little bit further, um, the concept of wrestling with God isn't something new. As a matter of fact, the Bible is filled with stories of people who go to God and voice their questions to him. And God invites our questioning because he himself is the answer that we seek. For example, after Jesus rose from the dead, he goes to his disciples, and it's there that we read the story about doubting Thomas. Now, Thomas, honestly, I feel for this guy because all the other disciples get these cool nicknames that get known for other things like the rock or the one whom Jesus loves. But Thomas gets known as Thomas the doubter. He's doubting Thomas all because he didn't believe that Jesus could rise from the dead. He had just never seen that happen before. But the beauty of the story is that Jesus saw Thomas's doubt and he didn't want to just leave him there. He met him with compassion. He goes to Thomas. He addresses his doubt because he wants Thomas to not be left as doubting Thomas, but to become knowing Thomas, trusting Thomas, faithful Thomas, believing Thomas. This is his love for him. Also, know that your wrestling doesn't put you in a timeout or in the, in the doghouse with God. If you look at the story of the Great Commission, where Jesus sends his disciples out to share the good news of the gospel throughout all of the world, if you look at verse 17, it says, When they, the disciples, saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then right after that verse, Jesus goes on to commission his disciples Go and make disciples of all nations, the doubters and all. He's not afraid of your questions or put off by them. Bring your questions to him. As Jesus says in the Great Commission at the end, surely he is with you always, even to the end of the age. So fear not. Embrace the journey. Step two. This one's really important. Ask good questions. Now, we have to be aware that even our questions have some sort of belief built into them about God and about the Bible. As Kim Keller puts it, doubt your doubts. The worst question to ask when we're reading the Bible, according to Rob Bell, is why did God, for example, why did God tell those people to kill those other people? Why would God create people if he knew they would screw things up? Why did Jesus have to die? Couldn't God have saved the world some other way? Instead, the better question to ask would be, what was happening in the world at that time? Why did people find this so important to write down? Why did this passage endure? Why have people literally risked their lives to reproduce and distribute this book? What does this teach us about what it means to be alive here in this world now? The point of reading scripture isn't to bend it according to our agenda or to become these Bible know-it-alls. We read the Bible to invite it to read our lives, to transform us. Hebrews 4, 12, 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. 
it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So before going into scripture and interrogating it, let's take a moment to question our own questions. What are the underlying beliefs or assumptions that I'm making about God or about the Bible as I enter into this wrestling? So step one, fear not, embrace the journey. Step two, ask good questions. And last but not least, step three, wrestle together. The Bible wasn't meant to be read or wrestled with alone. Back in the day during Bible times or Jesus' day, uh, not very many people could read. Majority of people couldn't read. And so scripture was shared largely in these public forums. It was read out loud in communal gatherings. It was a super beautiful invitation for you to meet God in the context of community. And the problem that we face today is that it's become a highly private, super individualized experience. And we miss out on so much by keeping it that way. Sure, it might be more comfortable to read scripture alone um, at home by ourselves, but we risk staying in an echo chamber and we miss out on so much of the beauty and the growth that we would experience if we read it together in the context of community. For example, uh, you're going to read the story of Ruth differently from someone who is also a widow, or the story of Moses is going to hit different for someone who's also adopted themselves. Or like Austin Channing Brown puts it, it doesn't make sense to go to a black church and to ask someone, what does the Bible say about faith and justice? That's like asking, what does Christianity say about Jesus? These are such important conversations for us to engage in. We have to be aware that if these truths that we're discovering in the Bible alone aren't also true for people that are in the margins, then we have to question if it's true at all. Let's wrestle together. The Bible is brought into deeper depths when you're hanging out with people. As Matthew 18, 20 says, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So there you have it. Fear not, embrace the journey. Ask good questions and wrestle together. I want to end our time together with this. Um, a couple of years ago, I was going through a really hard period in my life. It was just uh, nothing felt like it was going in the direction that I thought it would and felt like everything had gone to hell. And every day I was crying on the couch or sobbing in my pillow. And in the middle of this crisis, I had a vision. And in this vision, I was on a boat and I was on this boat with Jesus. And for some reason, I just knew that this boat was a place that I had been in all my life with Jesus. And then one moment later, without me realizing, I am out of the boat and I am in the water. And then I realized that it was Jesus who threw me into the water. And that was it. That was the end of the vision. And I was just so depressed. And it felt like, wow, that is the last thing that I needed to think of or to see. Um, and it really sucked. And I felt worse. But then um, at the time, I was getting counseling from a spiritual director slash retired pastor here in the city who really looked like Gandalf, by the way. And when I shared this story with him, um, to my surprise, the more he heard and the more that I shared, the more he started to smile and nod. And I even saw this twinkle in his eye. And after I finished sharing, um, he replied, yes, Krista, Jesus is pushing you out of the boat. 
and he's calling you into deeper depths with him. He wants you to go under the water and to see that he is a God who cannot be confined by aquarium tanks or these confinements that we put him in. He is inviting you into a wild and beautiful adventure um, to see that there's more to him than you know. Go with God, Krista. He is in it. And I remember leaving that day just feeling so encouraged. That word had just set me free. I was able to be released of my sadness and to truly embrace the mystery of who he is. Um, Man, what a wild and beautiful adventure it's been since then. And truly, it's been beyond anything I could have expected or imagined. 99, could we be known as a church that has gone into deeper depths with the Lord? What if when people visited us, they saw that we're a community that's not afraid to wrestle with scripture together? What if we could be a breath of fresh air for people who are visiting, who've been holding questions that they've been too afraid to ask all their lives? So 99, let's enter into the mystery of who God is. Let's dive into deeper waters together and experience him in ways that we've never before. Let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for this time. We thank you, Lord, that there is no limit to who you are, that you are a mystery. God, that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, Lord. And yet you invite us into your mystery. You invite us to know you more. And so, God, we just pray over this time. We just pray, Lord, over this word, over this desire of wrestling with scripture. We pray that you would come and meet with us, Lord, in new ways in this season. As we stay quarantined, as we are sheltered in place, God, we pray that we would come to know you in a deeper way. We pray for fresh revelation, for fresh knowledge, and we pray, God, for deeper fellowship among us, God, that we would come together and that we would glean off of each other's experiences, that we would grow from hearing one another's testimony of the way that you have moved in our lives, of the way that your scripture speaks to each and every one of us. God, we open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. We pray, Father, that you would come and speak to us and take over. We love you. We bless you. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.